right, welcome to our final episode of the year, which we're talking movies. We're talking our best of 2020. So, Chris, what's your first category? Film editing? (laughs) I thought it was going to be sound editing. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How'd You Like That Movie? And actually, it is the episode of How'd You Like That Movie? Because it is the our best of 2020. So we have best picture, best director, best actor male, best actor female, or actress, however you want to say it. But Scott and I both have our own open category. So we're going to start there, and we're going to work our way back. So Scott, why don't we jump in with you, and what's your open category, and what's your nominations? I went with best original song. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So my the ones that I enjoyed this year were Wear Your Crown from The Prom. That's probably the only thing you'll enjoy from that movie. Uh, the other one was Just Sing from Trolls World Tour. The Wuhong Flu from Borat 2. and then Hutzevik from Eurovision and my winner drum roll please was it might be the worst reviewed movie of the year but damn it had some good songs it went with Hutzevik of Eurovision that's uh, Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. The song was written by, uh, in going with our theme for the whole year of butchering names. It's all Icelandic names. So Savan Kuchaka, Rickard Gorson, and my favorite, Fat Max Gus. Congratulations. You are first winner of Best of 2020 in Scott's Open category. So I took a bit of a different approach for my open category. There was, a, there was a couple films which I thought they did well or they just they weren't good enough to be on the top of the chart. So I just kept mine as an open classification. And my two movies are Never Really Something Always by Eliza Hittman, which is this fantastic dark film about two young girls that go off to basically have to deal with their friend's abortion. So it's very, it's probably the, the heaviest movie of the year. So sorry, Chris, can I, can I interject for a second? Yeah, sure. Do you want to say the title correctly? Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Boom. There you go. Oh, did I say often again? I always <laughs> say often. <laughs> uh, yeah. And this was, uh, this is like a, not the first um, feature film by Eliza Hitman, but it's definitely the one getting garnering the most amount of attention right now. Uh, and then in the other film I have in this class is Mangrove, written by Steve McQueen. Um, and it's the reason I couldn't put it in another class is it actually belongs to the Small Axe anthology uh, that was released by BBC One and then on Amazon Prime. So it's one film in a series of films. So it's kind of skating that difference between like a mini series and a film. Uh, so that's why, like I said, I put it in this open, uh, open uh, category. And it has to do with the Mangrove restaurant in West London and the 1971 trial of the Mangrove Nine. So it's mostly about British black civil rights in the late 60s and early 70s. It's actually the whole small act theory, uh, series, sorry. And I'm giving my uh, open class to 
Mangrove and to Steve McQueen with an ensemble cast, ensemble cast of Louita Wright, Sean Parkers, Malik Kirby, Rashinda Sedal, Alex Jennings, and Josh Gloden. So, I mean, it's a really solid, amazing cinematography, um, great script, really important time period. And again, really well done. It's got kind of like some civil rights aspect on the street that moves into uh, some uh, basically a courtroom drama. No, I liked those movies, the five movies in one. And well, to get ahead of ourselves, like I had, I was on the fence with actor with John Bergena for the red, white, and blue one, in which you played like the cop, like the like. And I was like, mm, I wanted to put him in, but I was like, the the film itself, like though, because it's not a full two hours, right? Like they're all like one hour to an hour and ten minutes and under. I'm like, do I really want to count that, right? Well, and exactly, that's a hundred percent. Why I like Mangrove was I just at the two hour mark. It was kind of the longest one in the series. Um, it felt like a total film, but again, we had this open classification. So I figured I really wanted to talk about it. Uh, I like Steve McQueen's work. I mean, it's I, often, when he first came out on the filmmaking scene, I used to get him confused with the like famous like action star Steve McQueen from like The Great Escape and stuff like that because he has the <laughs> same name. Nothing shows my whiteness like that. Um, but I mean, I really like Shame. Shame was a fantastic film. Uh, Hunger is on my list of sin to see. Uh, 12 Years a Slave, obviously fantastic. And the only one I didn't really love is Widows. Really? I liked Widows. Uh, I mean, it was okay. I guess I just expo- expected something different. I mean, we're gonna, and, and Viola Davis is gonna come up on my list later on, uh, but she was fantastic in that movie as well, so. She was. All right, so what? category do you want to do next that's a actor actor actress director let's uh let's do the acting acting okay you go ahead you start this one off all right well let's start with best female actor or actress so i have viola davis in ma rainey's black bottom uh rada blank for the 40 year old version and i actually only have there was lots of great female acting performances, but these two stood out uh, and actually got them over the hurdle. Cause I have this thing with acting, uh, whether it's in theater and film or whatnot, is that you are being paid to act. So showing up and doing a job that's not horrible does not, does not make you a great actor. It just means that you're doing your job. So both of these, both uh, Viola Davis and Rada Blank um, did fantastic performances. I'm going to give it to Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And that's for a couple reasons. So first off, Rada Blank, she actually wrote and directed um, the 40-year-old version. And so I think that kind of like makes it a little bit easier on yourself. Um, And Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was a fucking atrocious remake, or not remake, retelling of uh, the play that it came from. Really? Yeah, it it was absolutely horrible. Okay, well, I guess we'll have to wait for a film then. So my my picks, I had four performances that stood out to me that I was humming and hawing with. One was Sydney Flanagan for Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. So that's her first time acting, basically, right? Yeah, and I thought she did amazing. I also had Viola Davis from Ma Rainey. Yep. I also had Rita Blank from 40-Year-Old Version. Yeah. And then I had my winner. 
Who was? Who I think did the best performance this year for a female, and that was Elizabeth Moss in a, a Visible Man. Really? She, I like, if you look at the the subtext of, yes, it is a horror movie, but the whole the whole performance in which it had two layers of one a woman coming overcoming an abusive relationship and two which kind of goes with like the mental health aspect i thought she blew it out of the water when we were talking about this too i we told you from the beginning i'm not really doing like um picks and what oscar favorites it's just performances that i thought were well and then sure. literally somebody just had to top it right and even though the that this movie came out early this year i, I hadn't seen a performance that topped hers all year really you think that she actually did a better job than viola davis i do really okay i do and 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 it's not a knock on viola like she's on my list i thought she did well too but for me I thought Elizabeth Moss killed it this year. All right. Okay. So moving on to what? Best actor, actor, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Scott. Take us away. All right. So I had Chad McBoseman from Ma okay. Rainey. Yeah. I had Adam Sandberg from Paul Springs. Okay. Palm Springs. Sorry. Delroy Lindo from Defy Bloods. Adam Brody from The Kid Detective. <laughs> and Riz Ahmed with The Sound of Metal. And my winner was Chad McBoseman. 100%. 100%. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that I think is funny because you're like, this adaption was atrocious. I think in terms of acting, it had some of the best performances on there. Well, and I'm going to I'm gonna talk about that now because it's like, are, are, is there anything else you want to say before I get into mine? No, no, go right ahead. Okay, so for best actor, I have just him. I have Chad McBoseman. For Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So I gotta I gotta explain kind of how I approached all of my stuff as well. Is I because the sound of metal and stuff, there was other stuff that I looked at, but I kept very, very, very strict 2020 releases. And Sound of Metal came out in in festival in 2019. So it didn't get to make my list. Another thing I did with best actor and like any of the actor categories is I didn't count ensemble casts because I feel like it's too hard. So this is stuff like the Chicago Five, Boys in the Band and stuff like that that I'm going to talk about later. So these had to be performances where essentially you could tell who the like male and female leads were. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I thought Chadwick Boseman was amazing, just like Viola Davis. And they did that in spite of a poor retelling of August Wilson's Tony Award-winning play. You know what I mean? Like he... Remember, this is the guy that wrote Fences. And this is actually what I had of an issue with this is I was very excited to see this adaptation. And I, like I said, I love Fences. Fences was really well done. Um, what's his name there? Denzel Washington, you know, got an Oscar for Fences. He directed it. He's the producer of this as well. Mm -hmm. uh, August Wilson's the same writer. Like this should have been done much better. And it came off as like campy and it was falling apart at the seams. Um, and I'm actually going to talk later about The Boys in the Band, which is another adaptation of a play to screen and how there is a way to go from screen or sorry, from the theater to the screen. And there's ways to not do it. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom failed in all those aspects. And the performances of Davis and Bozeman were so good. They actually superseded 
the failings that the film had. See, to be honest, I, I enjoyed the film, right? And, and... Well, there's no accounting for taste, Scott. We've already established that this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's like you're on our Twitter handle, trolling people. I'm a troll me. man. Didn't you just watch a troll movie? Was yeah, I, I in it? <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> you're probably the grumpy troll. I am. All, I'm always the grumpy troll. But, yeah, like, I thought I thought the movie was well done and i think the failings of the movie is something um from what you're talking about i think it's more attributed to how it was released on netflix because netflix is all about the small budget like make them cheap make them no you're 100 wrong because the boys in the band is, is on my list multiple times and it's a direct adaptation from the boys in the band to the screen and it is one of the best adaptations of a play into a film script that i've ever seen but we'll we'll get to that when we get there so all you're right. saying that the budgets weren't big enough yeah i think that's what it is because it's whole all fucking mo- the whole fucking movie basically needs to take place in a recording studio you could have done that in such a minimalist fashion and so actually the i'll tell you one of the big problems and this is something that's extremely important when you go from theater to film and it has to do with the gaze of the audience in a play the audience moves its own head in a film the director through editing has to control where you're looking is that when you have theater dialogue you need very very deliberate tight editing in order to keep that kind of pace moving back and forth so yet again i managed to shoehorn editing into how to fix a fucking movie so yeah, I, I'm surprised it wasn't one of your categories. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> it, it just uh, you, you should have had five categories, which should have been best editing, editing, editing. shittiest editing, <laughs> <laughs> mediocre editing. editing, and no edit at all. I'm guessing director next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do. We're we're actually kind of moving through this stuff a little bit quicker than I expected. Okay, so. First off, there was a couple things I just want to talk about that I didn't watch that I want to give Connor honorable mentions to before we move on to Best Director. So One Night in Miami, which I couldn't see because here in Canada, we're locked down during COVID, only came out in the theater. News of the World with Tom Hanks was also only released in theaters on Christmas Day. Promising Young Women, which I fucking want to see so bad with Carrie Mulligan, which looks amazing, released in theaters. Nomadland doesn't come out until January. Minari doesn't come out till January and the Th- the father doesn't come out till January. So those are all films that I would have liked to review. They're definitely coming up on the break critics list, uh, but I wasn't able to watch them. Therefore I wasn't able to rate them. Do you want to talk about any of that stuff before we move on or? Yeah. Now with, with these films, I guess for next year, would you consider them for best of 2021 or is it just done and over with? Cause technically done and done and over with man, because they released them. But, but they didn't Canada. release them in any type of form. Well, no, uh, they were released in theaters. We just couldn't go to the theater. So I don't know. Did they release them? Like, I don't know how that works out. That's a good question. We'll have to look into that in 2021. Because <laughs> you're like, nothing else was good. Everything got pushed to 2022. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so for Best Director, because uh, Best Director and Best Picture, often they're, it, they can be hard to separate sometimes. And the way I separate best director from best picture is essentially the the best the director has is the storyteller. So what story got told best? Often they'll a certain especially big time directors will have a certain voice. They're considered auteurs, like the author of the film. Um, 
And sometimes the director also, they don't get to control everything. They only get to control what they're given. So they're sort of like a cook that's like an iron chef. They're given a bunch of ingredients and whoever could make the best one. Where with best picture, it's essentially best producer. Who with their budget could bring all the elements together and what was the product at the other end? So my nominations for best director are Eliza Hittman, never, rarely, sometimes, always. Christopher Nolan, Tenant. Aaron Sorkin, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Joe Mantello, The Boys in the Band. And Max Barbauco, Palm Springs. And I'm giving my best director to Christopher Nolan for Tenant. Because out of all of those things, first off, Tenant has a very specific Christopher Nolan feel. Like no other director could do what Christopher Nolan did. It was absolutely beautiful in its cinematography. And actually, the only reason, although it's on my list of best, best pictures, I'll tell you now the reason it doesn't win my best picture is because the acting was okay, but there was, wasn't stand out. And that's something that the director might've been able to get something else out of it. Um, I thought Tenet was beautiful. Like I thought it was absolutely, and I totally understand why Christopher Nolan wanted you to watch that in a fucking theater. It's, I am very sad I did not get to watch it in a theater. Luckily, I've got a really, really big TV. Any comments on that? Um, yeah, he's not my choice, but. Well, just on, 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 before we move on to your choices, like, is there any comments you want to make about the stuff I just brought up with Tenant or? Well, like, it was an okay movie. I, I'd like, to be honest, I, I didn't fall for the hype of it. Like, it, it's not even on my best picture, like, list. Okay. Or actually, yeah, no, it's not. Is it like, uh is it one of your list is 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 it one of Nolan's best uh works, you figure? No. No? What's your favorite no. Nolan film? Um Memento is my favorite. Yeah. Like I and I don't think he's topped it, but like I take the Dark Knight trilogy out of it. Like just the stuff that's him. Yeah. Like his original, I would go Memento, then I go with the prestige. Mm-hmm. And then uh, da, 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 probably Interstellar next. What about Dunkirk and Inception? See, Inception, that, that's the thing. Like for me, like Tenet was literally just Incep- uh, Inception with Memento and mixed it together. And there's there's your timeline story. In, in Cemento. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's why, like, don't get me wrong. I thought the film w- was well done. And in terms of no one else but Christopher Nolan could do that film, I, I 100% disagree. Um, who do you, who, okay, if you, off the top of your head, do you think, do you know, who would you suggest could also do a film in that, that whole, the bigness of it, the largeness of it? Steven Spielberg. Oh, okay. Maybe Spielberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like it wouldn't be as arty, though, with Spielberg. Uh, next one, I would probably say Edgar Wright could do it. Okay. Mm. What did you think of Washington's, uh, John David Washington's performance? I love his, I love that guy. <laughs> like, I love his acting. You right? love his acting. It's not like he's done a ton of stuff. Like, he did, his biggest thing has been the Black Klansman. Yeah, but Ballers on HBO. Yeah, he basically played himself. I know, and it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> did, you, did you like Robert Patterson or Kenneth Branagh's uh, work? I love Branagh. I thought Branagh did fantastic. He, he's good at playing. I don't, I don't, under, 
Go he's good. He's good at playing the bad guy, Russian guy. Like, I don't understand why every or, time. Or Hamlet. Or he can be Hamlet. He can yeah. be Shakespeare or bad Russian guy. Like, even the the Jack Ryan, like, prequel he was in with uh, Chris Pine. He yeah. was, like, a bad Russian mobster bad okay. guy. You're a bad Russian. Yeah. Um, and his Russian accent I, could use some work. <laughs> he does. He definitely plays cold, though. Like, like kind of a cold character. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy him, but now back to me. Yeah, you know, you know, I get a say in this too. <laughs> so right. for my choices of director, were Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Yep. George C. Wolf for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yep. Uh, Spike Lee for The Five Bloods. Ugh, the movie is fucking unwatchable. Anyway, keep going. Really, Max? I'm not even gonna try Barcaro for Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. And then Alza Hitman for Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And? She was my winner. Oh, nice. She, like, I think the way she pulled that film together with the editing and having, like, that excruciating, like, spoilers, long-ass scene where literally they're asking these questions, which is, tell me never, rarely, and how it just, like, she pulls that was amazing to me like this movie which i like because i have two daughters right like and i would never want them to go through what what this character went through right but like i felt it and i thought she did the best in terms of directing yeah and i would i i would agree with all your assertions there um she she did do a fantastic job and remember she is also working with like essentially uh a uh, lead that's never really acted. Actually, even even the supporting character, the actor that had to play that, she had, she had no real experience either. Mm-hmm. So you're right. She, they pulled it together, and it was really well edited. Uh, I watched. I actually went and watched a bunch of her older stuff, uh, some of her short film work and stuff. And uh, she often talks about like female, and not just female, but coming of age stories. Uh, LBGTQ, just like how hard it is being a woman in the world, like all of her stuff, you could kind of see that all coming together in this film. You know what I mean? No, I I do. And I think it was one of the most authentic like films that I've seen, like in terms of performances, in terms of everything that like, if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend to watch it. Um, would you say it is would you say it's it's the heaviest film you've seen this year no the heaviest film i've seen this year was the midnight sky because that thing was fucking depressing what how the how can you compare that with a a a fucking like straight up realism story and midnight sky was fucking almost unwatchable too george clooney should stick to fucking making tequila and go back into fucking retirement that movie was the biggest waste of my fucking time uh in terms of being dour like this at least at the end it gives you some hope it's gonna get better for her i guess okay i guess the way i'm phrasing this question is more like heavy and and like the weight of it on your soul one is fake and one is like essentially a, re, a, a telling of a, a plausible real story you know what i mean yeah yeah no that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying like in terms of the way you phrased it like midnight sky was the like because no one won like 
those two yeah, people including me who had to watch the fucking movie and i remember you all fucking jazz for this film like oh my god it's almost coming out scott it's almost coming out <laughs> i know again the critics uh, i gotta i gotta start like becoming a professional critic because i mean if they can throw darts at a dartboard and miss so can i clearly <laughs> um so yeah man do you uh do you want to take us out with our the last best like for our best picture or what yeah so for best film the the films that i enjoyed i guess the most this year um in my category are the trial of the chicago seven mm-hmm. the invisible man palm mm-hmm. springs and ma rainey's black bottom all right and my winner was the trial of the chicago seven it's a pretty good movie man it was good and i think in terms of how you're depicting how you picked like director and stuff like i think this film in terms of the ensemble cast the production the sound editing the editing itself and just the overall picture and just most of all the enjoyment of the film is what won it for me this year well and it was both written and directed by aaron sorkin so but it wasn't supposed to be. What do you mean it wasn't? Who was supposed to direct it? Spielberg. Oh, really? Yeah, it was supposed to be Spielberg. And I think he went to go do um, the... Oh, it was supposed to come out this year too, but they postponed it. Um, what's that musical? Which Sharks and Jets. West Side Story. Sure. Sharks and Jets. I was like, what is Sharks and Jets? Sharknado? Uh, <laughs> oh, really? He's doing a musical version of... He's doing a remake of West Side, West Side Story. Story. Yeah. Oh, okay. That'll be kind of cool. Um, it was supposed to come out this year. Do you, uh, so, I mean, I thought, uh, I agree with you. I think like, it's it's definitely on my list of best picture. Um, do you have a favorite, favorite Aaron Sorkin film? Like mostly he's a writer. So yeah. what, what, uh, what other stuff by him do you enjoy? Oh my God. I mean, see why, why do you got to put me on the, the spot here? But there is one. Hold on. Now I got to look it up. Okay. So I'll I'll give you a couple of the ones I really like. So obviously, a few good men is he. You know, he wrote the play, and then it got turned into a film. So that's amazing. Like that. So a few good men's another example of because there's a couple different ways you can take a play and turn it into a film. And so in a few good men, what they basically do is they keep some of the dialogue. And they they make an expansive film. Like you would never even know it was a play by watching it. And then there's the way they do it in The Boys in the Band. And then there's the way they failed to do it in Ma Rainey's. Um, but he also did a fantastic job with uh, Charlie Wilson's War, which I think is a great, great film. Mm-hmm. What about you? Did you find what yeah. your favorite? Yeah, yeah, I found him. Uh, it was Molly's Game with Justice. Yeah, he wrote and directed that. Yeah, I thought that movie was amazing. I saw that on a flight coming in from Berlin one time, and I was hooked the whole time. Did you like it better than The Social Network? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And Moneyball. Moneyball's good too, yeah. And then there's one more. You know, this is just the guilty pleasure, and that's The American President. <laughs> uh, it's kind of got a little love story in there. Well, it's not even a little love story. Um, and it got me some, you know, Michael Douglas. <laughs> Who so, the, like so much? yeah, who, well, I mean, nowadays, kind of old grandpa. Uh, the trial <laughs> of the Chicago Seven, man, like great cast Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Raymond, Jeremy Strong, J- uh, John Carroll Lynch. I mean, again, it's very similar to Mangrove, except the American perspective, civil rights movement. Um, 
I agree with you was well shot, well edited. All of that stuff was great. Um, so my list is the trial of the Chicago seven tenant and the boys in the band. And I'm giving mine to the boys in the band directed by Joe Mantello. Uh, he did love valor and compassion. He's got two Tony awards for direction. Uh, adapting the screenplay in conjunction, actually he's directing, it was adapted by Mark Crawley, who is the original writer of the 1968 stage play, The Boys in the Band, with a fantastic ensemble cast, Jim Parsons, Zachary Quinto, Matt Boomer, Andrew Randall, Charlie Carver, Robin DeJesus, Brian Hutchinson, Michael Benjamin Washington, and Tuck Watkins. Um, this is like a revolutionary play that was and the reason I actually, because the the trial of the Chicago Seven was in the lead, uh, I actually I actually had a sleeper hit that came around, and I had to disqualify it because it turned out to have come out in 2019, uh, and that's Baby Teeth. Baby Teeth. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. I bawled my fucking eyes out. It is so good. But it, unfortunately, it came out in 2019. Uh, but yeah, the trial of the Chicago Seven was in the lead, and the 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 reason I actually put the boys in the band ahead of it is because of how difficult it can be adapted to, uh, to to not only just adapt a play, but to keep that theater aspect of it. The way the dialogue moves around in this in this film is unbelievable. I think I've seen it five times since it came out in September. So really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you answer a question for me? I can try. Why was Alan crying? Why was what? Why was Alan crying? Why was Alan crying? Because he's gay, man. He's closeted homosexual. That's why. You think? Yes, yes, yes. And what I actually really liked about this is, so this play uh, was released in 1968. Some of the cast was gay. Some of it was straight. But at the time, like, everybody thought it was, it was they were told, like, this is going to kill your career. A lot of the cast actually ended up dying of AIDS. Uh, it was then, again, made into a film in the 70s. Then it was brought back to Broadway. Uh, with this cast, actually, with the, the, the cast that did the Netflix special uh, and did amazing, uh, was nominated for a bunch of Tonys and stuff. And then they brought, like I said, they brought that entire cast back into the studio and, and shot it as a film. So I, I just think it's beautifully shot, beautifully acted. It's got a great score. Uh, the way the treatment, the, the, the color grading is done, it's got that kind of 60s sheen on the film. It's a beautiful film. It's my best picture of the of, of the year. Mm. Now, do you know who directed the original from 1970? The film? Yeah. I do not. You? Uh, I do. Who is it? William Fredkin. Oh, I think I know that. Do you? What else? That, what else has he done? The Exorcist. Oh wow! That's amazing. <laughs> You're like the one movie I can't watch is. <laughs> it, it, it is with one of the movies I can't stop watching. Yeah. Now you're gonna have to watch the original one to see so, that. Oh, his adaption of it at least. Yeah, actually, I, it's it's on my list of of things. I can't believe I didn't put those two together. So, how did you feel about movies in 2020? It was different, obviously. Like at the beginning, it wasn't bad. Like the last movie, I actually I tweeted it out in terms of my honorable mentions was um the last movie i went to go see in theaters was birds of prey with my daughter which was a good film in its own as well it was fun but yeah like watching movies at home all the time is 
you know, saving me a shit ton of fucking money with a family of five. I bet it is. Uh, did you do any of the big downloads over Christmas? I watched the Wonder Woman one. And yeah. how was it? I liked it. Yeah, but it wasn't good enough to make any of your lists? No, no, like that one was straight popcorn, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a popcorn film, so... And so for me, it wouldn't make any of my lists. Like I had the Invisible Man for that, <laughs> which I thought was and Palm Springs, right? If I put too many comic book stuff in it, you won't do a podcast with me anymore. <laughs> uh, I really like Palm Springs. It was super fun. Um, I unfortunately I couldn't give Andy Samberg really any like acting chops because essentially he was playing himself. Uh, but it was super fun. And again. That, that's another film that really came out because of the editing, having to like go back and they, they kept that. Some stuff was just the same footage reused over and over. Other stuff they had to keep reshooting just so that it felt fresh and real. Um, yeah, it was a really good film. I mean, I think that is the highest paid amount to date for a film coming out, out of festival. Sundance. Yeah, yeah. That's what I heard as well. Now, did you, did you, by any chance, did you watch The Kid Detective? I did not. See, I I rented it, which explain this to me as a Canadian. Produced by Crave, it's a Crave original. Okay. All Canadian. Yep. But it's not on the Crave streaming app. I had to rent it for six bucks. <laughs> it, it was like literally like stuff. I was researching stuff. Um, for a movie like trying to remember right like sitting at home all the time like what movies actually came out this year and then that film and another film love and monsters which i rented out as well um were on lists as well as best of so i rented it and i actually really enjoyed the kid detective i think you'll like it too it's like a very quirky like what happens if the hardy boys grow up like that kid detective is now grown up but he's still not over being a kid detective, right? Huh. It's really good. To answer your question, I mean, I wonder if it's the same way that sometimes like Amazon will produce a film. And then I remember uh, Les Miserables, not the musical, but like the film festival uh, film. Mm -hmm. For the longest time, I couldn't rent it because it wasn't available. I saw it, you know, I was going to see it in the theater and then COVID happened. And then I had to actually wait for it to be released here, even though I have Amazon Prime, so... I mean, sometimes one hand isn't always working with the other. You know what I mean? I hear you. I hear you. Now, so, question. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. No, I was going to say before we wrap this up, uh, since it's a best of 2020, did you have a favorite episode of ours that we recorded this year? A favorite episode of ours that we recorded this year? I mean, I'll be honest. I like all our episodes. I think they're fun and everything else. Uh, I think that we... I liked our Halloween episode. I think there was some some good energy in that. And we got to talk about, you know, James, um, John Carpenter's Halloween, which is a classic, and the Rob Zombie one. I thought that was a really good fit. And other people out there seem to like it too. So what about you? See, my favorite episode is our least downloaded one, which is our Project Power episode. I think that's the one where we kind of found our groove, like what this thing's going to be doing it, right? So it always brings back memories. I listen to it every once in a while. <laughs> what, while touching yourself? Um, <laughs> With my eyes closed, hearing your voice. <laughs> hey, before we get out of here, though, how did, what did you think of um, the 40-year-old version? You know what? I, I would have missed that movie if it wasn't for you. 
with without you tweeting and and Instagramming how good that movie was, I would I probably would not have watched it on Netflix. Well, and it's funny, I had put off watching it too, even like being a fucking super film nerd that I am. It was like, I'm like, oh, it's in black and white. It's it's like the, the, the write up about it. It's like this woman who wants to be a, you know, turn her career around in hip hop. I'm like, oh, fuck, man, this is going to be a bit of a slog. And I put it on. And within the first like 10 minutes, I was laughing out loud. And I'm like, how the how the fuck have I been waiting so long to watch this amazing movie? It is so good. And it's like weird. It's like Netflix will push certain stuff and then other stuff you're like, how how are you not making this one bigger? Oh, actually, before we get out of here, <clears throat> mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the stuff that uh, did not end up on our list, if you don't mind. So okay, from, well, can I make a comment about Yeah, yeah, this yeah. One? Go ahead, go ahead. Um, what it remind me of, like watching this movie, um, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, um it reminded me of watching clerks the first time yes yes except a little the production value is a little bit better like it's a it's a little cleaner looking you know what i mean yes yes but again the and and yeah like i'm going to follow follow her well i want to hear some of her um rodimus prime stuff like (laughs) (laughs) white guy with a black girl's ass Uh, speaking of black and white films, though, Mank, man, I was very, very, very let down and disappointed by Mank. I, I don't know. Somebody what told I was... me. Go somebody ahead. told me before it was as beautiful to watch as Citizen Kane, but also as boring. Yeah, that person is a wise individual because <laughs> uh, it, it, it did it did look nice, and it, you know they uh the acting was solid like everything was fine but i was like this is fucking boring and anybody who's listening who is not 102 years old that tells me that citizen kane is their favorite movie is a fucking liar okay and it's not the best film ever made and nowadays you know what i mean we're and i think we're gonna have to have a real fucking grown-up to grown-up conversation with the listener base to be like listen Citizen Kane was great in his day. It's got some really interesting things. There's definitely some stuff that came out of it from cinema, for cinematographers, but it's not the fucking best film it's still. You know, even, even I would argue that stuff like Vertigo and stuff that is now, you know, on Sight and Sound's list have beaten it out. It's like, come on, man. Like, we're in fucking 2021 almost, and you're telling me these two fucking movies are the best things ever made? I think we need to have a new conversation about that, so. Yeah, I agree. Like, when, when, when you're getting chirped on on twitter about citizen kane <laughs> um uh, when we were talking about it i was telling you too it was about 20 years ago that i watched that movie and all i can remember is the fucking opening scene with the death yep. and then the fucking sh- sled burning i'm like i could not remember anything else of that film yeah and again like everybody fucking wanks off to this and i guarantee you that most people haven't watched it it's a hard fucking watch man it's a really hard watch like yeah there's some cool stuff but i mean there's lots of cool et's fucking cool you know what i mean like there's all kinds of cool things that have been done in filmmaking and i do think it's hard to pick a like a number one but going back i mean actually we need to look at the whole afi top 100 and get rid of all the fucking boomer selections on there. Like, these guys think that a fucking... There hasn't been a great movie made since, like, 1976 or some shit, so... Wait, isn't there a podcast that does that already? Yeah, there's a podcast that basically talks about the uh, AFI 100 list, but we're going to talk about why those films probably shouldn't be on the AFI 100 list. Um, (laughs) 
Before, actually, one other thing I want to complain about is The Five Bloods. And again, this is one of those films I was super stoked for. I think the whole concept of talking about the Black soldier's experience in Vietnam, the, the what was going with civil rights, all of that stuff's great. I don't know why they needed to also turn it into Three Kings. I, I, don't, I don't understand the logic behind that. I guess they needed a reason to go back to Vietnam. I don't know why Spike Lee didn't just do a fucking Vietnam movie. Um, some of the stuff where they shoot like it's like, back on uh like eight, eight millimeter and stuff some really cool stuff going on fucking unwatchable though 25 minutes in i had to fucking pull the pin jump on my own grenade and get the fuck out of there i'm gonna have to disagree i did watch it and i enjoyed it and i think the the performance uh, especially of delroy lindo like chadwick boseman was good but he's cameo if best like he would be supporting in that one because spoilers his character dies and is dead most of the most of the film but i think the the thing that works well with that film especially with his delroy's delroy's performance is it gives you one of the most authentic pstd characters like post-traumatic yeah (laughs) (laughs) post-traumatic what the fuck are you talking about post-traumatic stress disorder yeah it was was that chinese uh (laughs) he got the chinese flu but um post-traumatic stress disorder yes um that that i've seen on screen like it goes back like he goes like if you watch it like he starts going fucking crazy like he goes almost like sylvester stallone in first blood crazy where he's like willing to kill his own kid right to get this gold right and he, maybe he's got gold fever no gold! no it, it, it's literally once he he gets back into that vietnam forest right like once he's in the shit again right he just goes back i think i think in the jungle the mighty jungle <laughs> as if he just fucking... <laughs> it's a serious topic and you okay so maybe some of these movies we need to revisit in 2021 on our regular show maybe maybe not maybe not (laughs) don't call me i'll call you exactly (laughs) uh well that's all i've got man unless you've got anything else no 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 that's it that is our rant for the year our social media handle is at how do you like that one and also email us at how'd you like that movie at gmail.com i'd also like to just take a moment and thank everyone for listening and hopefully continuing with us into 2021 and everyone keep safe and it's gonna get better and have yourselves a happy new year You think the sound design, your film wouldn't be anything without the sound design or the FX or the costuming. So fuck off. Like half the time, the best picture is all of those other departments kicking ass and you fucking just happen to hire the right people. So Uh, production by Rod Shaver, Vader Monkey Productions.